following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast, where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Welcome back, Die Buddies. We're back with another guest. Um, I'm excited to get get uh, into this one because um, I think we're going to get a lot of good information and insight from from Jay Horley we have here today. Um, and he is a um, educational coach for um, physical coaches. He's been in the um, athletics industry for a while, but he's also a type 1 diabetic that also eats a animal-based diet more towards the carnivore uh, carnivore end of things so I'm excited to kind of dive into that and see how how that has been going along with because um, I know he's he's been experimenting with that stuff so um, we're excited to get into it uh, Garrett do you have anything to say yeah welcome Jay you know it's a pleasure to meet with you and talk and hang out and and just uh, you know meet more diabetics and more diabetes throughout the world <laughs> so yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah so um, why don't, uh, Jay, you kind of start by telling, um, you know, your diabetic story or, you know, a diagnosis story, you know, whatever you feel most comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I've, I've had type 1 diabetes um, for 14, since I was 14. So, you know, 16, 17 years now. So I guess it's the first period of my life where I've had it longer than I, I didn't have it. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Um, so a little bit about my diagnosis story. Uh, I'm three and a half years older than my younger brother. Um, but he had it since he was seven. So obviously I grew up uh, with him, my younger brother, having type 1 diabetes. Um, and it also my, my grandfather on my paternal side had it. So um, we used to spend a lot of time with my, uh, my grandmother. So she kind of knew what type 1 diabetes was. Her husband had it and then now her grandchild has it. Um, so so we, were, um, we were all sat down for dinner. We were, we were about to eat together. I forget. I think we were about to eat like just classic, like British food, like mashed potato, chicken, something like that. I don't know. Um, and she was like, Oh, let's all, uh, let's all make, um, Kieran, uh, uh, feel better essentially by all doing blood tests together so we can all check our oh, blood no. sugar. And then, <laughs> um, but, 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 but she, she knew what was going on. She knew that she knew something was awry with me. Cause looking back, I had all the symptoms and then I, I pressed my, I touched my blood sugar and it just said, Hi, I was like, Uh-oh. oh, <laughs> snap. So, you know, like I was immediately like, oh, you have diabetes as well. But looking back, I had all the symptoms, you know, like, and, and I knew it, I was hiding it for a little bit of time, mm-hmm. you know, like, so mm-hmm. I, I was so thirsty. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night and had to go in like emergency run to the bathroom to pee, you know? So, um, and I was just tired. <laughs> I was losing a lot of weight. Um, but yeah, so back to that day, we, we were checking uh, blood sugar and then we were like, oh, wow, Jay's blood sugar is uh, over 33.3 mmol per liter. Um, I, I don't I forget what that works out as deciliters, but it was just, it was off the scale. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, I think like 400 or something. So like we went um, to, 
straight to hospital, um, just like straight to emergency check-in. They checked me in. Um, they, they, they gave me some insulin, they returned my blood sugar to normal. And then the same day I got to leave with like new pens. And this is because, because the family was already geared up to look after a type one mm, diabetic. They were just I like, Oh, there you go. There's another one off you go. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, I just, uh, carried on living my life from that moment and forward, I guess, you know, a typical normal human being's existence. Um, from there out. That's, that's crazy that that's uh, your kind of your story because we had another guest uh, who had a similar story like he, he they just kind of were checking blood sugar just for for fun and next thing they knew they're like I think it was on Thanksgiving and they just were like well you're diabetic too and then they rushed him off. You know, so <laughs> kind of funny that, that was yours too. Um, wow and so were you playing any sports at the time? Y- yeah so um, I was always um I know at 14, I don't, I don't think, I think about that time, um, I started to do martial arts quite actively um, around that sort of time. So there's obviously, there was challenges uh, with that, but looking back, I I didn't think there was that many challenges. I I think that the the, the more educated you become on diabetes, the more anal you get about your blood sugar. But when you're 15, you're like, ah, seven, ah, nine, ah, you know, whatever it is, it'll sort itself out. Right off you go low, just someone pass me a, a flapjack or something and I'll get going. So, and, and being, and being at that age, you know, you just, you like, there's, there's no stopping you anyway. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I was doing that, but looking back, there were definitely days where I would perform on fire. And then there was definitely days where I was just so heavy. Like my body just wouldn't work with me very well. And I, I remember, and I remember, um, as I was getting older and older and doing more and more martial arts, you know, like, and I was going to competitions and stuff, you know, there would be, if I got my blood sugar was messed up, you know, like for jujitsu, like my grips wouldn't even work at all just because the dehydration from having elevated blood sugar and, and then it normalized and then I would feel good again. So, um, yeah, definitely. There was definitely a lot of trial and error, um, with blood sugar management and competing in sports, um, from that period of about, uh, 14 to 21, hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. And so you were in the, the UK at, at that time, and were you using an insulin pump, or were you using injections, or, or what, was the, what was that time period when you were first being diagnosed and just kind of going through it as a teenager? Um, I've, I've never been on anything but uh, MDI, uh, manual daily injections, uh, multiple daily injections, manual. Um, yeah, I've never tried a pump because I've always played contact sports. I know it just would never be feasible for me. Um, I couldn't even wear a continuous glucose monitor until I found the magic position in my body that contact sports don't touch. And I, <laughs> I just take it to that part of my leg. You know, I've tried everywhere. Um, so now it's kind of like if you sat down and then you just go just on the side of your leg by here and you tape it up. So now my uh, I can wear a Freestyle Libra. Um, but yeah, so at that time I was on uh, Novo, Novo Rapid, um, Atlanta Solo Star, um, as, as, as bolus basal kind of, uh, medication strategies, and then just doing multiple finger pricks, uh, every day to just, uh, periodically to check my blood glucose. Gotcha. And, and Grady, you've done some, I mean, you do a lot of jujitsu right now too. Uh, mm. so what's your experience, you know, with CGMs and, you know, compared to that magic place that Jay's found? It's know? definitely, it's definitely tough. Um, I have to keep like spare, um, like port sites and, and, um, and, uh, tubing in my, in my truck, because I know, cause I ran to a lot of times where it would get ripped out and then my blood sugar was super high because I'd stay at the jujitsu for a while. Cause we go and spar 
like even after class and I'd be there for like two or three hours. So by that time, like my blood sugar is spiking high and you're already dehydrated from the workout and then the high blood sugar hits you and it's just like, holy cow, like I feel like death. Um, so I didn't want to do that again. Yeah. So I, I, I have those in my pickup to help mitigate that. But like, it's also like very intermittent. Like sometimes I'll have like an old site in and I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter if it gets ripped out today or not. Like, and then it won't get ripped out, but then I'll put like a new one in or it'll be a newer one. And then boom, we get ripped out right away. And it's like, for the most part, they're always in similar positions. So it's just like, you never really know. No, no, it's true. Yeah. It is, it is random. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then, uh, you know, just because a lot of uh, our listeners might not know how things might work in, you know, the UK or other parts of the world for diabetes care and management, you know, was that, was there ever a question or ever, you know, a worry on where supplies are coming from or anything like that? Or, or what did that look like growing up? Uh, you know, just that aspect of diabetes that not a lot of people think about in terms of how you're getting supplies, what they're costing, things like that. Uh, yeah. So in the UK, it was pretty good. Like, you know, the UK's, um, the UK's National Health Service provided us with free medication, you know, everything we need. Um, uh, you have to, you have to go in and, uh, you know, if you, like for me now, who, who, who kind of runs my own medication strategy, like, I, it, like it's okay now. Cause I, I can, I buy some of the stuff myself, but if I was to go back to the UK and be like, Hey, can I, can I have this? Or, or maybe a little bit of this. And I need a little bit like, they'd be like, that doesn't really follow recommended protocol. So, you know, okay. that'd be the difficult, but for, for the bog standard uh, diabetes care, like, cause my brother has it, it's, it's very good over there and uh, gotcha. they provide it. But um, coming to Asia was um, living in Asia was a challenge. So um, just because I was like, Oh, will I get it? Or will I not get it? Uh, consequently, I, I found that in Hong Kong uh, where I'm living now, it's so easy. Like I can just buy it over the counter. No problem. If I ever run out, buy it buy it you know oh, wow. um, but but when i travel yeah but when i travel to singapore uh, mm -hmm. they won't sell it to me no uh you, you can't have it but i need it I, <laughs> I don't care you can't have it you know so like it wow. is like ah oh, snap so i gotta be really really super careful when i travel uh, or down there um and it reminds me of a story that when i was traveling around asia and i went to vietnam and you just a million things on my mind i grabbed some of my which is when i was still on um novo rapid and atlantis solo style and i grabbed some novo rapid from my fridge and then uh i was on i was in vietnam and then oh is it about three days left oh you grabbed the pen with no insulin left Snap. Oh, um, no. you you have about like you you're you're in vietnam in the middle of nowhere and your flight's in the third day so you've got two more days to go through um and uh you you have about 20 units or something left or something and, wow. and i'm like oh this is gonna be fun um <laughs> so, so, so we, we googled it and everything's in vietnamese like it's not like i'm in a big city as well i'm like in this coastal kind of like beach paradise you know like um and so so basically i was like uh so i tried to swear but i was like fuck it i'm uh i'm just not gonna fast there you go just just gonna fast and adjust and yep. uh it was it, it was, it was not really the most romantic getaway because of my fiance at the time, but um, she understood. And then I just kind of did two meals, small meals a day, just protein based. And this is before I was carnival. Um, so I, I was going from like a, a paleo diet to just eating a little bit of chicken and eggs twice a day anyway. So that was my, actually, 
thinking about it, and that was the first time I ever really experienced how little insulin you need to use on a meat-based diet as a kind of forced fasting procedure to actually get to where I was going to be going. But yeah, I made it home and then I was like, all right, uh, that was the first time I ever made that mistake and I'm never making that mistake ever again, you know? Yeah. So like now I just take as much insulin as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's super crazy because, you know, here in the States, it's like, okay, if you travel, it's not that big of a deal to go in between states, but you're literally across the ocean in a different country. Like, oh man, that, I, I think we've all been there. The three of us have been there where we just had a fast, but that is like a high intense situation. It's like, yeah. you can't mess up. Yeah, you can like like I counted my units and I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah, I could not, I can't mess this up. But we we made it back. We were okay. It was alright. We we made it. But you know, like I mean, one more day and I wouldn't have made it. So I'd have had to have gone and find insulin from somewhere. Like I'd have gone. But the thing is, like in Vietnam, they just weren't using um, the the Nautilus. Oh, sorry, not the Nautilus. The uh, like the the same medications that we were using. They were using you know vial stuff and injections. And and I just wasn't familiar with it. And I didn't even get to the chemist to see it anyway. So I would have like is this with my level of insulin is, is this is this a five hour insulin is this a 24 hour insulin is this yeah. a is this a is this a two hour insulin you know like i mean what's the deal here so mm -hmm. there we go wow wow uh and so yeah you've, you've now mentioned a little bit about your uh carnivore diet and you know your meat-based diet and, and um, we'll, we'll talk about your strategies and how you do that in just a moment but how do you find this idea of eating meat and, and animal products only and, and how long have you been just kind of experimenting with that type of stuff um so not a lot of, like I, i've written about this a little bit but i have kind of more talked about this um so, and i guess um actually well like you know we will introduce i'll introduce uh heart rate variability as a measure because it seems to be getting quite famous these days anyways but i did a personal training certification program about three four years ago and the guest lecturer luke lehman at the time was um, discussing heart rate variability as a, as a tool. Um, so for, for everyone who isn't listening, like heart rate variability is just how you plot the, the, the time between successive heartbeats. Um, and to overly simplify it, you want your heart to be like on chill mode. You know, you want it to just beat when it feels like beat and then be, okay, do I need to beat again? Yeah, and, and that, that, that kind of is indicative of your body being uh, relaxed and not under a high amount of circulating stress hormone. Whereas if it's like beat, 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 super consistent, like marching to a drum, it just shows you that you have a lot of circulating stress hormone in, in your body that's stimulating, um, you know, that part of your uh, stress response. Uh, there's, there's loads to go into it, but basically um, the higher your HIV score, the, the better you is. Like they, they've, they, it's not a causation, but they've correlated nine out of the top 10 causes of death with a low HIV compared to higher HIV. The only one it's not correlated with is being hit by a car, which... You know, so I guess it's like all nine of the top nine causes of uh, death. So um, my quest was like, okay, so I was like, I'm going to measure this. I'm in super shape. You know, my body fat's quite low. I'm, I'm paleo. Um, I, I train a lot. You know, I, I'm, I, I sleep well and all these sorts of things. And my HIV was like unbelievably low. Like I would look at like, I would go and test my fiance at the same time who, who does none of my lifestyle and hers is higher than mine. And I'm like, how can this be? So I went around trying to turn stones up. So um, my first my first stone was I went and did a full micronutrients uh, test of my blood to see what vitamins and minerals I had in my bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And I had 13 nutrient deficiencies. And I was like, how can I have 13 nutrient deficiencies? Because 
all I do is eat lean meat, um, all of these wonderful healthy seed oils, and I get about 10 to 12 pieces of fruit and vegetable a day. Like, I don't understand it. She, 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 you know, my, my functional medicine doctor at the time was like, okay, you know, you might be stressed or you just might be using these nutrients faster than you're, you're putting them into your system. Um, so maybe that's just double down on your efforts. So I went away and I was like, okay, I'm going to look at sleep hygiene. I'm going to look at, um, you know, my morning routine, my evening routine. I'm going to, I'm going to start meditating. I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to start doubling down on my fruits and vegetables and, and even doing a couple of plant-based days. Um, and then, and then I got real sick. And then like, I was just, I was sitting on the sofa after eating some temper, you know, which is like a, a condensed tofu kind of thing. And then I was having these stabbing abdominal pains and I was like, Oh my God, I, I just mentioned my doctor. I was like, I don't know what's going on with me, but like, I can't even stand up. Like there's so much pain in my abdominal section. So he goes into the doctors and she's testing me and there's like, I'm so distended and I'm so bloated and I've got so much pain in my abdominal section. Um, that she's like, right, we need to do a full profile on you. Saliva tests, stool tests, blood tests, uh, you name it. We're going to, we're going to do it on you. Um, and like, I actually, this is something that I, uh, I, I don't talk about uh, as, as much as I should, but at that time, my mental health was probably the, like the worst it's ever been in my life. Mm. Um, I was at it, like, so I posted on social media today, how like training and nutrition frees up the rest of my life. Um, so like I, I couldn't train cause I had multiple joint inflammation and injuries. I had all this stabbing gut pain. Um, every time I ate something, it just seemed to get worse. So like it was, it was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had the worst. Uh, I was actually, if I'd have gone and seen a doctor, I would have been diagnosed with depression a hundred percent because I was just, just miserable, brave facing it. And even to the point where I would just come home after work and just sit in the dark and then just like have these occasional just suicidal thoughts in my brain. So wow. like this was a really bad part of my lifestyle, that I, I, life that I was going in. So I was just, you know, constantly searching for like, what's wrong? You know, I have no idea. Like I'm trying to live this optimal lifestyle. Um, but here I am injured, sick and depressed. And like, I, I don't know what to do. So good thing that I just have access or just exposure to, you know, even the internet or these people or people traveling just to give me these ideas because um, my doctor ran the stool tests, uh, the blood tests, saliva tests, breath tests on me. And I came back with um, a severe gut infection. I had like early markers for intestinal cancer. Um, I had like mass inflammation in my, you know, as with my saliva, I still had loads of nutrient deficiencies. Um, and I had a bacterial growth and a fungal overgrowth all going on at the same time in my, in my intestine. So it's like, and once you start to learn about the, the, the byproducts of having all of these things, you know, like all the, if people have um, an, an imbalance of bad bacteria, or they have these kind of bad pathogens inside their intestines, they do leak um, inflammatory and depressive compounds into your bloodstream just to mess up your neurochemistry. So it's now I look back and go, <clears throat> well, that was obvious. But at the time I'm like, I don't know what to do about this. So mm -hmm. she, uh, she just was like, here's a load of medication and here's a low FODMAP diet. Um, and that actually did help, you know, like, so sure. for the best, for the best part, like killing the bad bacteria and so nuking. So like I completely, I'd, tanked my intestines of bacteria with like three, four rounds of heavy antibiotics wow. um, after the natural stuff didn't work. And then, um, and then 
and then low FODMAP diet, which obviously, as we know, is the, the, the fermentables of, of what, of what actually the bacteria breed off inside your, your large intestine. Um, and then, and this is like completely obvious to now why I had some nutrient deficiencies. It's not because I wasn't putting the food that I needed to eat in. It was because my guts and my intestines were so inflamed that I couldn't absorb nutrients through the intestinal wall. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I shared a picture on Instagram this morning, like before carnivore and after carnivore. And there's like, I mean, it's an insane difference in my, in my body afterwards. Um, but so I was talking to a friend and he was just like, um, why don't you just go carnivore? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, my other friend has been doing kind of on and off. And then, um, and then my, my, one of my clients, um, is actually got rheumatoid arthritis and is having a great success using carnivore diet to mitigate her symptoms. Um, her, actually, her sister is a keto researcher that works with uh, Gary Tobe. So I kind of trust this woman's information. So he was like, my, my friend was like, my business partner was like, okay, uh, let's try this, uh, like try the carnivore diet. I'll send you some resources. So he sent me an ebook by uh, Borges Fagley and then an, an actual book called The Hyper Carnivore Diet. Um, by Dom Matez, uh, and this guy was a, a vegan for ten years, and then moved to carnivore. And he wrote uh, like the, one of the best books I've ever read on evolutionary approach to ancestral dieting. And he he uses a meat based approach. He doesn't use a carnivore approach, but you know, and he just tells you which what else you can include and you know, why you should include it. Um, so this was about November December two thousand and eighteen. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm just dabbling in it. And then on my social media, bam, Sean Baker, let's go world carnival month in January. So I was like, okay, down 31 days. I'm just going to eat four steaks a day. Um, and I'm going to just <laughs> run with this. Uh, I'm going to post every single steak on my social media. Um, and I'm going to do 124 steaks in a row, just as an experiment, 30 days, <laughs> what could happen? Um, and it was insane. Like I just... Like, so what people are like, like what I have to say, cause you know, like I have a balanced approach to, to like, I, I'll try and offer an argument on either side of the, of the equation, like going from sick to normal, you're never going to feel better than going from normal to optimal, you know? So going from, so for me, it, I, I instantly could breathe through my nose for the first time in two years. Cause I just wasn't so messed up with, um, histamine. Like I just wasn't bunged up yeah. at the time. So I could breathe through my nose. Um, and you know, I could, my, my energy levels, I wasn't heavy anymore. And like, and then for all the guys listening, I've never been so horny in my life as the time where I just put all that cholesterol into my body to the point where my, my fiance was like, again, again. And I was like, I'm sorry. I, I just, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, so I had this, like this massive, and I was like, I'm never going back. Like I am never going back. And my body fat was melting. Um, I know this story is going a, lo a long way, but I was like, wow, I look incredible. I'm going to do a photo shoot. That, and that, that, while that was a, a super successful, that was probably a mistake because um, I was like, I look so great. I can definitely do a photo shoot. But knowing what I know now about one, I came from a point of nutrient deficiency and then nutrient stores. I did the photo shoot. I looked absolutely shredded. But coming out of that, I was hungry for six months. You know, and I wasn't, I wasn't satiated until I started eating organs. Mm. So like I would have like grass fed Wagyu steak in my fridge. It's incredible. Like it tastes the bomb. 
But then I would, I would just go and get this minced beef and mix it with some liver and some bacon and, and make these patties. They, they don't even look that great. They're not, I, I, and, and, I, and that's all my brain would think about. Like, it would just be like, okay, I'm just going to have three because that's what matches my calories. No, no, and I'd have like 15, you know. Um, so obviously my weight went back up because I was just, for the first time after that photo shoot in my life, my body was just like, your intestines are fixed. You're absorbing all these nutrients. We never want to be starved again. So we're just gonna we're just gonna hammer this eating home until you get nutrient efficient. Um, so yeah, like I, as I said, I started my journey um, at the time that I was sick about 1992. I finished my photo shoot about 80 kilos flat, and then I ate about six kilos of weight to get back up to about 86 kilos. Um, which I'm roughly, but then I've just leveled off and I've been completely flat ever since that moment in time. Um, I'm actually going to start cutting again now, but I've, I've been at this weight for about a year and I know that I'm nutrient efficient. Um, we can get into some of that in a moment when we look at like how well you cope with fasting as, a, as, a, as, a, as an idea of where your nutrient stores are at. So yeah. It's a whole lot there. <laughs> so yeah, sorry for the rant, but yeah, that's how that's how we got to where we are. <laughs> no, what a crazy story. Uh yeah, when you know, eating such a what people think is a paleo diet and what would be nutrient full and then having 13 nutrient deficiencies. Do you remember what all the nutrient deficiencies were? Like or, or just can you name, you know, a couple of them off? Yeah. Um and I, I've probably got some ideas as to why as well. Um, I, I can actually just pull up my blood test and have a look. But off the top of my head, um, I was deficient in some of the B vitamins, um, riboflavin B2, uh, B12. Um, I was deficient in magnesium. I was deficient in zinc. I was deficient in copper. So it, I wasn't fat-soluble vitamins that I was deficient in. Um, a little bit of vitamin D. Um, but it was basically um, my water-soluble Bs and my minerals that I was deficient in. Um, which was energy production and, you know, uh, minerals are massive in electrolyte balance, which is why I had no energy all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you have so many deficiencies, yeah, my first thought, uh, which I'm sure Grady's thought was too, is like, you're not digesting the food you're eating, you know, your, your gut, which is exactly what you ended up having to do with the low fat man diet, which is not an easy diet. Like I've never tried it, but, but <laughs> that's a pretty strict no, diet, yeah, it's yeah. low fat man, low fat man diet. Um, you know, so that, that's insane that you're able to, um, you know, do that kind of start to heal your gut. And then, uh, were you, you're tracking your heart rate variability throughout all of this. Yeah. So, um, I used, uh, well, actually I went away and did the elite HIV heart rate variability course. Cause I was just like, I, I just need to know this. Like I, I have this personality that's like all or nothing, you know? So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go in all. Um, so I was using the heart rate system, but then I ended up buying uh, the aura ring about, oh, sure two, three years ago. And I know they're becoming popular now with the NBA, but had it first. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was looking at the data, looking at the data and uh, when I would fast, my HRV would double, you know? So, and when I was having low, like this, we can get into everything that bumps my HRV up, but during all that time, you know, there would be like my HRV would be chronically low and then there'd be like these little bips up. And I was like, okay, something's working. What, what is this? Like, I need to double down on it. And looking back now, I can identify that straight away. But at the time I was like, maybe it was the low carb or maybe I was, it was the blue light blocking glasses or maybe it was the sunshine that I don't like to, I was just doing so many things at the same time. So it took me a while to see all the patterns. Um, and then the real patterns for me now as a type 1 diabetic is 
the amount of food you put into your digestive system has a massive correlation on heart rate variability for me and I'm assuming other people. So if, and this is why I advise, like I have type one diabetic clients who message me or, or people with autoimmune disorders. Um, for you guys, uh, calorie dense food with low volume works better because by part of, by nature of having a autoimmune disorder, you've probably had a compromised digestive system. So if we can put less food volume as opposed to less calorie volume into your digestive system, your heart rate variability tends to improve. And that's, that's, that's big with me, which is one of the reasons why the carnivore diet works so well is because I'll eat on average about 800 grams of food a day, which comes out about two and a half to 3000 calories, depending on uh, the cut of meat. But I would knock back two, three kilo salads when I got in back in the day, right? And just your body has to digest that. So that's one of the massivest things for me um, in regards to what affects my HIV. And then also is, is protein. Like people think carnivore, go ham, go ham on the protein. And I've done two, 300 grams of protein and your, your body doesn't like it. Like, you know, people think protein for gains is getting massive, but no, no, like I found now that the right amount of protein to keep me in nutritional ketosis, anywhere between 0.5 and 1 um, MMOL per liter, um, my HIV improves. So it's not a case of, you know, just going like if it's like not a case of like, like my, some of my friends who don't have type diabetes, just, just, just go steak for life. They just smash it. It's like a great, and they, they look great. The HIV goes up to 80 and it's like, it's wonderful. There's another layer of consideration if you do have a type one diabetes. And I'm not saying I'll never get there, but I'm just saying that three years ago, two years ago, I had the worst digestive system health ever. Maybe my digestive system isn't ready to consume 300 grams of protein a day at this moment in time. I'll keep testing and I'll find out. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Well, uh, Dr. Gray, what, did that make you spark any kind of thoughts uh, with some of the things he said? Yeah, the, so I like, how, I like how you were able to notice, especially where you're monitoring a lot of different things. I think that's really helpful for just each individual um, being able to have different checks um, because we as type one diabetics have a good check into what our body is doing and how it's functioning just via our blood sugar. But I like how you went a further step in looking at your HRV and you probably have a few other things that you look at too, um, to see how your body's responding to whatever you're doing. And like you said, we oftentimes we get a little carried away and we start doing a ton of different things all at once. Um, yeah. but, um, but being able to see what is working and what you're doing is working. Um, in many different ways is helpful because um, you can go off the deep end on one thing, like your blood sugar is super level, but then over here, a lot of your other systems are then breaking down. Um, so keeping that big picture is, is a, is a um, really important thing. And um, I, think, I thought it was really interesting that you brought up the amount of protein um, because we've talked about on here before how, um, obviously protein can then be turned into sugar. And so having too much protein, especially all at once can make a difference. But I like how you delineated that the protein will affect or the amount of food, just sheer food affects your overall body, whether it be blood sugar or HRV, because that's something I've noticed in myself, whether it be blood sugar or just overall how I feel digestion wise or brain fog wise is the amount of food that I have per meal in the meal. So a lot of times I get, I go overboard and I eat a ton of food all at once. Um, 
So it's something yes, I think we all need to be reminded of. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the biggest uh, challenges I had on my carnivore journey was was uh, medication. So like I'm fortunate enough now that I can I buy my whatever insulin strategy that I want, and I know enough about diabetes. And this is not advice at home. Like I just I just try it on myself, you know. Like so, I moved. I buy Humulin R. Um, so the you know the typical Novo Rapid medication. Um, it's got about a two hour, like ideally like a two hour half-life or whatever it is. So, you know, it comes in, goes out. It's very good at matching uh, carbohydrate um, food. Whereas when I was starting to consume more and more protein and, and we know that, you know, GNG happens about, you get a little kick in the beginning because um, looking at what it is now, there's um, when you, when your body recognizes that you consume protein, you get a little bit of like a glucagon spike. Um, I've been running through some, some theories with some of these doctors about how then, your blood sugar rises, it's the body to release insulin so it can drive amino acids to where it needs to go. But outside of that, uh, it takes about five or six hours to digest, you know, like protein in general to start just before you see any GNG. Um, so when you use a two hour medication, you, you always go low and then you correct and then you go high because the, the, the protein comes down. So I switched to Humulin R and I've never had better blood glucose ever. Um, but what I, again, what I've, what I've even going deeper and deeper and deeper into this, it might be off the deep end, just expose some people to some of this stuff is that I found that, like you said, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a max amount of food that I can digest and absorb per meal because, you know, you can eat 500 grams of, of meat and let's say it's a hundred grams of protein per sitting, but my human body is only capable of <coughs> absorbing, let's say 12 or 15 grams of protein per hour. So eventually it's going to come up. So, you know, like I, I, we can, we can go into the fasting in a bit, but there's the whole OMAD crowd or there's the whole IF crowd. Um, and I think that's great and it's wonderful. And I've tried that, but nothing works better for a type one diabetic than finding a way to keep your blood sugar flat the whole day, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, fasting comes second to having three meals of the amount of meat that I can take in one sitting, regardless of the window. Yeah, I like that a lot because I think a lot of whether you're type one or, or anything else, people might dive into intermittent fasting or fasting and make that their goal, right? They're, they're trying to figure out how to make that work when that should be a secondary tool to complement whatever else you're doing to, to guide your health and your nutrition. Uh, so I, I really like that that became secondary to figure out how that ended up, you know, what meals, what food did you actually need to eat to make it work for you? You know, that was very yeah. smart and very in, into it, like intuitive of you to figure out. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with you there. Like, and I think um, we all need to keep our eyes on the focus that, you know, intermittent fasting, all these things are just tools, you know, they're, they're, they're things that we can try, levers that we can pull and we can pull in, pull out, you know, we don't have to be married to anything like, and like some of the carnivore crowd unfollowed me when I made this statement, I, I did carnivore because it's the best thing for me. If veganism had been the best thing for me, I would be doing veganism. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm here chasing optimal health and fitness yep. and me, I'm not married to any approach, you know, like um, if, if uh, you know, what's his name? Sean, but carnivore MD, um, he just posted about how he's been introducing his honey so he can mm -hmm. reduce sodium, so his electrolyte better, his performance is better. Mm -hmm. 
I've been eating honey before bed to increase my serotonin or melatonin levels the whole time. Like, and if people can't accept that, like, I, I don't care. Like, this is, <laughs> this is for me trying to chase my optimal HRV um, in general, you know, sort of using a meat-based uh, approach um, as opposed to being, uh, making it my religion and being married to this because there's nothing worse than an uneducated identity. You know, yeah. so like I've tried plant-based and now I'm trying this, you know, like I, I'm just going with what my experiments are going to do. I'm never going to be there. And I do like a little bit of honey in my diet sometimes. It does mean that I can take less sodium. And sometimes it does give me a little bit of kick when I'm not trying to stay in ketosis. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that you're not married to a certain ideal because then you can get in, I mean, you can get into trouble with that. You can get, you can start to ignore some of the, maybe the adverse things that are happening to your body. Cause like it got you to got you from such a dark place to such a good place. Um, and so then you're just like, this is great for everybody and this is what everybody has to do. Uh, but that's not always the case. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want to dive a little bit deeper into um, how you're managing blood sugars with this. Um, one of my question, uh, biggest questions is since you are, having a, a limited uh, amount of types of foods now um, with your meats. Um, have you noticed with certain meats, do you have to bolus more or take more insulin versus the others or timing of insulin may be a little bit different one versus the other? Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to say that I've nailed this, but I'm nailing it in process. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have on my fridge behind me, um, eight different meal options of the same macronutrients values. Um, mm. Some with mint, some with eggs, some with light meat, some with like, you know, all these sorts of things, liver. I, I've even started eating brain when I can get a hold of it. Um, and everyone just thinks, okay, those macronutrients equal this medication. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, unfortunately, I wish it did. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, um, I was, I was, during the lockdown period, I guess we can not like in Hong Kong, it's like the lockdown period, but the lockdown period was for everyone else. Um, <laughs> I was dating, I was dating someone um, up until about a month ago, I think I forget. Um, and then, you know, during that time, I was, I was trying different strategies to what I normally do in regards to, okay, let's go out and eat late together, or let's go and, and let's, let's try and um, let's save some calories and have a larger meal or let's, you know, so there's a couple of things that broke my, the perfect routine I developed for my cutting and my fitness and everything. Cause I was trying to be introduce an element of learned flexibility. Yep, anyway, I get that. That didn't work and neither did the relationship. So I like snapped back out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I was like, right, I'm going to do one cut again until I get so comfortable again doing one cut that I'm going to introduce a second cut and a third cut. So now I'm three or four weeks in, of just one cut that's it nothing else and um, i got that i got that down to a perfect t now right but uh, to answer your question um going backwards yes uh, the best thing um that i can eat that I, that I know about eating is eating between 250 and 300 grams of something that has got a two to one in terms of calorie or a one for one in terms of macro ratio of protein to fat such as ribeye or strip loin or even eggs in that regard. They all carry a pretty similar um, equal nutrient value when you start to measure them up, you know? So, um, and for me, I know that uh, for those particular three items, strip loin, ribeye or eggs, 
uh, for 300 grams of meat, or let's say uh, 55 grams of protein, um, I need four units of medication, four units of what I'm my four units of uh, humulin R. If it's first thing in the morning, I need five because your body eats up a little bit more insulin in the morning, your liver starts to reabsorb it, um, and just the whole dawn phenomenon thing. Um, if it's post-training, I need immediately post-training, I need one less, I need three. So I, I've got that down to a science for that one cut. Um, but when you start to eat leaner meats, um, where you don't have the luxury of fat slowing down your digestion, or you, you go to the same grammage, so 300 grams of chicken, for example, and it, you know, if, if you're thinking what the raw weight has got like 65 grams of protein, so there's an extra 10 grams of protein in there. Um, and, if you're, and, if, and if someone gives you cooked, then it's, it's, it's going to be even more. So I need a different medication strategy for that. The breakdown is faster. So what I end up having to do is when I'm eating lean meats, I, I take the five units that I would have injected, the four units I would have injected, and do the first one as a as a as a rapid insulin, and then the rest of them as my slower five-hour humulin, my human-based insulin, um, and that's how I work that out. Um, but if I eat like a whole chicken, for example, I'm like today's whole chicken day, I'm just gonna smash it. Um, <laughs> what I've realized, you know, like just just go for it, like. Um, I need to do my five units because that's the most I can take at any one time without going into hypoglycemia because then I've got too much medication for the amount of protein that's being absorbed in my system. And then on the five hour mark, I need to take another five units, even though I'm not eating to deal with the next block of protein that will need to be come out and consequently be absorbed. And it was a bit of a risk for me in the beginning to go, right, I'm not eating, but I'm going to inject five units. Mm -hmm. Ooh. So I, I, I test it just to make sure I keep some sugar next to me and, and test it. So it works. Yeah. So that really, really works. The only problem, the challenge is when you do that as an evening meal mm. because you're asleep and you can't do that and you have to yeah. set your alarm for like 2 a.m. And it's like there's one thing to inject five units at, at, at midday and go, OK, I'm just going to sit and wait and see what happens mm -hmm. to to. Um, to, in, to waking up at 2 a.m. and injecting uh, to injecting five units then. Um, so all that does is that I've done it a few times. It's been okay, but I don't like doing it. So I like to deter from that. And when I'm out at an evening meal, I just like have a 300 gram cap. That's it. Like I'm not eating more than that. Like, um, because like for me, I, I don't want to get up at 2 a.m. And I don't want to wake up with my blood sugar being eight or nine mm OL. So mm -hmm. that, that's the reality of living with type one diabetes. Yep. Yeah, it's great that you were able to uh, figure that out because yeah. um, I know a lot of people, especially um, people who don't necessarily understand a lot about physiology and understanding the fact that, okay, protein and fat mixed together is going to have a spike later. And so taking that insulin later without eating is a very scary uh, prospect. Um, but, but, after you understand the fact that that's going to happen, um, then it makes you a little bit more comfortable. Then, but then at the same time, it's still scary because then you're like, okay, I just took this insulin. Um, and depending on how your day is set up, if your day is very, very much the same every day, then it's probably fine. But if your day is kind of like all over the place and you don't know how active you're going to be or how sedentary you're going to be, um, then that can be kind of stressful too. Cause then you can get up and go and do a bunch of exercise or whatever, a bunch of movement and then that insulin kicks in a little bit faster than you expect it to. And then bam, you drop back down again. 
Um, yeah, so, um, but at least you're able to um, anticipate that spike because I know for me, when I first started eating um, a lot of protein all at once, um, I started to notice that myself too, that like two, three, four hours later, I'd start to spike again. I'm like, what the heck? I, did, I didn't eat anything. Um, but yeah, now, now I'm able to anticipate that, but it doesn't make it any easier taking insulin without eating. <laughs> no, I, I think we just come to the point where it's like, we just don't do it anymore. Like I'm just like, I, I rarely like, I'm like, nah, 300 grams is, is it for me. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, which is a shame because I can eat two kilos of beef in a sitting, no stress. Oh like, yeah. It's just like, yeah. It's just like, uh, okay. Optimal health. Sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, organs? Have you been able to dial it in, you know, with certain organ meats or specific organ meats? Because those are obviously a different animal, no pun intended, when it comes to nutrient profiles and, you know, fat versus protein content, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to consult um, this guy in Sweden called uh, Joachim Bartol. Um, and uh, he animal based and fasted his way away from cancer with no medication. Super interesting guy, like documented it all on social media. I mean, yeah. I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying this is what I was reading about, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, so he really got me on the organ train. Um, and uh, like, if anyone who, who's in the carnival community says, yeah, I love eating organs, they're lying. Why would you like eating <laughs> organs? If, why would you like eating organs compared to ribeye steak? Like there, there's, there's no, there's yeah. absolutely no reason why you would do that. Like, so I like whipping <laughs> brains inside my eggs and then fry them up. It actually makes the eggs fluffier. But if it's like liver versus ribeye, like, I mean, like there's, there's no, there's no comparison. So for me, um, he was like, okay, um, at the very, very, very worst case, you need 20 to one organ to muscle meat ratio. At the ideal, you need 10 to one organ to meat ratio so that's quite easy a kilo a day 100 grams of liver 500 grams of beef a day 50 grams of liver so at the moment i'm doing about 15 to 1 i would guess um so i would i'm doing about 750 to 800 grams of beef and then about 50 grams of liver or whatever the case might be um and so and that's it. That makes very, very little to the amount of change I need to do. So, you know, like I'll have a meal that's, I'll have a meal that's say 270 beef, 270 beef grams I'm talking about now, and then 260, 240, and then just make the rest of it as liver. That doesn't really affect my overall nutrient strategy. Um, and then it goes for you. But when I was nutrient deficient off the back of my pro of my, my photo shoot, I couldn't think about anything, but organ burgers like Danny Vedger posted a, a, a thing about organ burgers it's just like bacon minced beef and liver and like I couldn't I couldn't keep them in the fridge because I would eat them all and, and it would be like 2,000 calories of in a sitting of, of organ burgers but now that I'm um, nutrient efficient or nu not nutrient deficient I don't know how efficient I am I should do another micronutrients profile test soon um, I, uh, I don't I don't crave them but um, when I look at my aura data uh, I do sleep better my hrv is higher when i do have organs included in my diet wow so yeah, i crazy. do it's like it's like forcing a child to eat broccoli it's like i do it because it's good for me <laughs> <laughs> brains over broccoli though that sounds like a little more fun though uh absolutely <laughs> I, scroll down my instagram there's a there's a picture of it it's great like um 
Uh, I send people, yeah, I'm about to eat these brains. But I, I line up. You put them in a food processor with eight eggs and you whip them. It makes the fluffiest omelet pancake thing you've ever done in your life. It's great. Like, you know, like, so, um, but, you know, it's not that easy to get grass-fed lamb brains from Australia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was actually going to be my, my next question to you. How is the ease or how difficult has it been to getting the organs that you've needed to, or, you know, for whatever reason, the cuts of meat that you're looking for? Because uh, I feel like that's one of the bigger hurdles for somebody trying to experiment with carnivores. How do you get a hold of some of these things? Um, you know, you being over there in Asia might be even completely different and not even like uh, comparable to what people might do over, you know, in the West. But still, I feel like that is a, such a huge hurdle for so many people to try to get good nutrient dense, clean, whether it be brains, liver, cuts of meat, you know, grass fed, whatever. Uh, what's your experience with, with that? So have conversations like, so, um, for me, I, you'll probably got the gist of this in our podcast. I just say what I feel like. So like, um, <laughs> like I know that I've gone into steak restaurants and I've gone into French restaurants and they've had bone marrow on the menu, liver on the menu or some of these things. I'm like, can you ask the chef where you buy this stuff from? You know, like, where'd you get it? Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, if you can see it, someone's getting it, you know what like, I mean? So like, how would you get a hold of this? Like, so I'm never going to give away my supplier for Hong Kong lifting, but one of my, my one of my boys, <laughs> one of my boys um, um, gives me like cost price, Wagyu Australian grass fed strip loin and ribeye. Like he just orders extra for his restaurant and sells me seven kilos a week. Nice. Um, I just carry home a seven kilo block and it's, uh, <laughs> you probably, you guys will be sick about how much it costs, but in Hong Kong terms, it's not that much. Like I pay probably about 25 us a kilo for it, which is cheap because in the supermarkets it's 50 us a kilo, wow. um, for some of these things. Wow. Um, and then I know that I've got my friends in Australia now, like going, what you, you know, you know, but like with, with, with the relative cost of living and then salary, like it, it, it works out really, really good value. Um, so when people like, how is the carnivore diet expensive? It's like, no, no, it's way cheaper than I ever, like, you know, like I buy seven kilos of meat um, and that's it for the week. That's it done. A little bit of salt. Like don't need to buy, I don't need to buy organic spinach. I don't need to buy organic fruits and vegetables, which have zero calories in them, by the way. Um, you know, the, like an actually appreciable calorie. So like mm -hmm. my, my, my food budget is, is dropping. And then I'll do something silly like, take my friends out to a steak restaurant and spend six stupid amount of money on stuff that I cook better at home, which grates <laughs> me a little bit, but, um, it, it is what it is. So, um, but apart from that, I was lucky enough to make friends with a butcher. Um, I just, after conversations you know, I helped him out with this carnivore diet and I was like, you, you have a supplier. It's like, you know, is it on your supply list. Can you order organs? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, what do you want? And I was like, liver, like, all of it and he was like uh, okay cool like i ordered so now so now i've got about two kilos of liver in the fridge and at 50 grams a day it, it lasts a while like in the freezer um and then whenever he gets anything like a little bit special like heart or not like a little bit special but like stuff he doesn't use you're hey do you want any heart or do you want any brains like so i got on whatsapp and i put like a little hong kong a carnivore ish community together on whatsapp and i'm like yo, cause we need to order about seven kilos. Is, does anyone want any of this stuff? And then I could just wrap up a little bit and then we can order from the main supplier and, and we can get it in. Um, so it's not simple. It's not super easy, but um, liver now consistently sells at his butchers. So I've always got access to uh, liver. So as long as you get, as long as you get in um, five and, you know, like as long as you get in between two to 300 grams of liver a week and you, 
you get in your EPA DHA, you, you should you should have most of your essential nutrients covered. Nice. Right. Yeah, I think I think the overall answer to that is something that people know they just don't necessarily want to do it because it's not conventional. Because we just want to go to the grocery store and find and find those things and just have them there. But you got to kind of dig a little bit deeper. But then once you have those relationships uh, established, then it's just, it's a nice, easy, easy way to do it. And you also have that relationship, a nice, good relationship with a good person that you know is going to take care of you versus at the grocery store. You don't necessarily know what you're getting with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, To be honest with you, like, it's not, it's not, it's not required to do, like, people say you should go and do organs. It's not the end of the world. Like, uh, for 11 months, I ate nothing but beef and salts, and I was fine, you know. It's just, uh, like, the optimal brain in me is like, mm, well, maybe, you know. Like, to yeah. be honest with you, like, it's not not the end of the world if you just eat an orange once a week to get some vitamin C. It's not going to kill you, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, you speaking of oranges, my next question was going to be like, so how often do you end up having lows in hypoglycemia or you know and then what do you what are your strategies for that do you just eat your oranges you know what what kind of what does that look like on a carnivore diet for you hypoglycemia biggest problem on the carnivore diet and type 1 diabetes is overcorrecting lows um so you know you get into a situation where you're like oh i'm dropping a little bit well bam with sugar and then next thing you know you're high then you've got to correct again and it's just getting off that roller coaster you know mm-hmm. um so one of the so one of the two biggest issues is that you become so much more insulin sensitive once you drop all your inflammation and, and you're dialed in um so even in the last three weeks i've i've had to reduce my basal uh to from eight a day to four a day you know because i was tanking so i'm only taking four units of basal a day um and then i was taking and now i have to drop off a unit post training um for that so i'm slowly slowly coming down so like my time and when i look at my time and target and you know like freestyle libre it it is what it is like it's 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 relatively accurate it's not 100 percent accurate Mm -hmm. um but um it'll be like 70 percent in target with the majority of the underneath being like 17 15% 15% underneath um, because I'm in the, over the last four weeks because I've been training down a little bit. So I'm just trying to optimize a perfect strategy. So what I did this time around, which was much better than what I've done before is, uh, is I weigh my corrections now. So like, I, I know that I, I've gone and got three things. Um, I don't know what they call them in the States with fruit pastels. Uh, I don't even know. I've got them somewhere um, like dextrose tablets and then honey. So if I've got them somewhere and then I, I know that um one brings me up 0.8 uh, MMOL, two brings me up 1.6, four brings me up 3.2. Roughly from doing the experiments, um, I worked out like this much sugar does this. So now, now that I'm, I'm, I'm dialed in, I'll go, okay, so I've got honey. So I know that 15 grams of honey is going to bring me up to where I need to be, but 25 grams of honey is going to throw me over. So I'm like, I'll just pop it on the food scale quickly or just get used to knowing what 15 grams look like. But everything in my body is telling me, no, no, eat as much sugar as you can because you're going to die. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, it's like, keep eating. Don't ever stop eating. And then I'm like, but I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to do 15 grams and I'm just going to sit here and wait. Mm -hmm. And then then you come around and you're fine. And it happened to me yesterday. Um, I don't even know why it happened yesterday. I I guess because I I was supposed to do an hour of training and then my friend wanted to drill after training. So I ended up doing 
two hours of training and they're just, are just a little bit more sensitive because my advice to most diabetics is, is have no circulating insulin in your system two to three hours before you go train. But that's a physical impossibility if you're uh, running a five-hour insulin strategy unless, you know, like if there's a large gap of time between food, mm-hmm. uh, like if you're running using human insulin. Um, so, and I often sometimes, you know, like once you get into a strategy, you do things that are conventionally stupid, like you'll eat before training and you know, you just work it out. So sometimes, you know, you can, you can run the line a little bit, but, uh, mm-hmm. no, no. So that really works out for me. It's like, oh no, four of these sweets are going to correct you, not seven, you know, like, which you can be inclined just, I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, so that's been the biggest benefit, to uh, my health and fitness in 2020 is, is measuring my correction doses. Um, yeah, that takes a lot of discipline because uh, all three of us and anyone who's type one or anyone who's not type one but has hypoglycemia knows that intense feeling <laughs> of just like eat freaking everything. Uh, oh, yeah. that, but that is when you can have that discipline, and that mental strength to not overeat and overcome that feeling, knowing that you're not going to die, you know, knowing that things will be okay and just slow it down. You know, that's when you avoid the yo-yos and you avoid the roller coasters of the ups and downs and overcorrecting. Uh, so that's a really good strategy of weighing it out beforehand. That's what it sounds like, right? You weigh it out and it's almost like kind of tucked away. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So or you just make it convenient for yourself. You know, you, so you just if you have them, you just know it's four, you know, mm-hmm. like four sweets or three decks or stuff. Yeah. So you just make sure that that's the amount you eat. And I'm with you, man. Like I've eaten a whole jar of honey off the back of being low sometimes. And then I'm like, <laughs> as I'm doing it, I'm knowing this is going to suck. This is going to suck. But you know, like you, like, like we, like we don't produce amylin, right? One of the satiety hormones from our pancreas. We have no off switch. I have mm-hmm. to measure my food. Like I could eat forever. Like, you know, oh, yeah. and when you eat really high calorie dense food, that's got low volume, you're like, I can put 5,000 calories away. So, <laughs> right. you know, like, um, and I've done that. So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. You learn, I guess with everything you learn by doing, you know, like, right. you know, this, this is why you don't drink because you wake up and you feel like shit. So this is yeah. why I don't eat five kilos of beef because diabetes isn't fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, you're also measuring. So you can see like, this is why I'm not doing this. And at the same time, then you can also, if you're measuring, measuring, measuring constantly, you can have that confidence that to say, oh, I'm going to only eat two of these. And it's going to bring it back up to this perfect blood sugar versus being panicked, not having that data to fall back on to be like, okay, how much should I really eat? You're just thinking I need to eat because I'm low. And then you overcorrect. And then it's that yo-yo effect. Um, but having that data it helps you understand what your body's going to do. So that way you can have the confidence to be like, okay, this is where I'm going to stop and I will be okay. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. And then uh, talking about low blood sugars right now, uh, we were, we had a few comments uh, leading up to this, this weekend about uh, recovery, HRV and low blood sugar. Right. And, you know, I think a big thing about, um, inflammation is when you are having that yo-yo, when you are going ups and downs, you're battling those things. That's going to send more cytokines, more inflammation. So the steadier you can be, the better. But you brought up a good point that you've seen your HRV scores uh, be much lower. If you're steady, you said like 3.5 or 4 millimolar, which uh, the conversion is around 18. So you multiply it by 18. So it ends up being around like 65 uh, milligrams per deciliter. So if you were steady around a low blood sugar, 
you've noticed low heart rate variability versus, you know, if you're much, you know, at a better range of four, you know, four or five, something like that, that you're much, your HRV improves, which I think is a really cool observation data point that you've actually observed in yourself. Yeah. And, but no, I'll even go as far as to say that sometimes I've messed it up and I've been between six and seven and I get better HRV than when I'm at 3.5. I'm not saying it's optimal. I'm just saying that, um, uh, for, 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 for the, you know, you, if, if there's pros and cons to anything, um, if you're running six to seven, you know, you're risking, uh, the long-term health effects, but when you're running 3.5, your body goes into emergency short-term mode. So it's just, uh, which one's the lesser of two evils for you at that moment in time. Um, it's funny since I've been on a meat-based diet, I, I don't get symptoms at 3.5 of being low at all. Like I would just, I'm quite happy sitting there. Like I don't get symptoms until I get to like 2.8 anymore. Um, so it's, it's quite run, run the distance where it's like when in the old days, just from having running on a glycogen based diet, um, you would get symptomatic as soon as you start to get to four, you know? Um, mm. and so that's interesting for me and, and the whole paleo medicina crowd, uh, those guys that use a lot of animal based fasting, uh, diets, uh, are like, yeah, 3.5 is, is, is completely fine for, 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 for people to be running around. Yeah. If you don't have type one diabetes, I'm guessing, um, you know, cause your body will put a little bit, cause that's where your body is naturally resonating at, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. like, us is artificial so um and for me a couple of interesting things that uh, i've learned from watching people and, and over the years is that um yeah when i'm at when i'm at five which uh, across the night my, my hiv is better and you know my recovery is better um anything more than that and the dehydration in the morning starts to throw my my body off again um if you if you have a um, a lot of inflammation caused by training. So, you know, muscular damage, for example, your, your body still sees that as a, as a stressor. Like people think that, you know, training is always good for you, but it's, it's not like overtraining does um, elevate your immune system and smashes, you know, and, and you need to increase your stress hormone to, to trigger your body to recover the damage that you've caused it. So when you look at people like Sean Baker, who have a higher HbA1c, than you know like other people who don't have the same chronically overtraining sessions it, it makes sense because he's chronically overtrained you know but he's like oh yeah but i'm the second fastest man in uh, over 50 on a row machine yeah, yeah i get that and, you know that's that works for you for performance but we're talking about long-term health here for the average population mm -hmm. right so um you don't need to train silly stupid for your your average health you actually shouldn't train as much as i train in the slightest if you want long-term health benefits um so so yeah there's that there's that factor that um you know the more stress hormone you have the more elevated your your, your blood glucose will be and then um and and, and you know your higher inflammation is but um it's just not like diabetes is not about getting your, your blood sugar as low as possible it's just you know really trying to work out what gets you what gets you you get you flat and keeps your blood sugar consistent and uh, whatever strategy works for you uh, in that regard so um so yeah it, it's difficult to though to, 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 to judge it when you're about to go to bed you do a, your finger test and you're like okay my, my levels last night were 5.2 before i go to bed and i'm like okay i've just done two units of traceba um this should be okay like i mean like you know i should 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 be okay but then when i checked um my blood glucose in the morning it, it went down to 
3.5 and then came back up and I woke up about 6.5. So it did do that drop and rise over the blood sugar. So while it's in the target and everyone's like, okay, great. You know, you have a 95% time and target last week. And I know we're just majoring in minors here, but mm -hmm. I'm like, well, no, I, well, no, I lucked it. You know, I didn't really get my insulin strategy is where I want to be. I had too much protein in my system. So I had GNG, which, which was cause, but I was just lucky that I, I, I put a deficit in to, to make it come up and it just happened to fit inside the green line on my, on my meter. So, um, mm -hmm. so, you know, one of the best strategies I've found is just don't eat three, four hours before you go to bed and your blood sugar is much more predictable and stable before you go to sleep, you know? So with the whole IF crowd that pushes your meal back to like 7 PM and just do one massive meal a day, doesn't work for me. Like, so I like to eat at six, um, like six, eleven, and three, or six, ten, and two, and I will stop eating about two, three p.m. in the afternoon um, if I want perfect blood sugar. Yeah, that's a uh, more similar. You know, you, Grady, for you, you, you used to stop eating around three or four when you were really doing a lot of your, you know, intermittent fasting. And I'm definitely trying to slow down and stop eating, you know, two, three, four hours before I go to bed for that exact reason. But man if you are not already on a meat-based diet or a ketogenic diet, it's so hard to transition back into those time restrictions of eating uh, to, to go back into that and, and start those habits again. Um, you know, but I think that's a real, a lot of what you said is super dead on about how the predictability of your blood sugar at night changes. I mean, if you have food in here, you're going to be digesting it and then that's going to be slowed down. That's going to throw off your hormones at night too. That'll then throw off your melatonin, more your cortisol, all those types of things. And so, you know, you're hitting the head right on the going for optimal health is such a different strategy than being the faster roarer, which is a really good perspective that you have. Yeah. Then performance. Yeah, it's true. I know like, uh, <laughs> I, you know, you can manage it. Like you have a snack before bed, you can do different things, but uh, like, like, like we always come back to like this podcast, like I said at the beginning, like managing type one diabetes and getting good blood sugar beats everything else, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, like you know, it's, it's, it's focusing on this and not focusing on this, you know what I mean? So yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And this is good. Like I'm hoping, you know, people realize this and, you know, like, you know, like you can, you know, like it's like doing an accessory exercise at the end of your workout and not squatting. It's like, but this is not going to have any <laughs> translate performance. Program. If you want to get faster, you need to squat. So <laughs> that's right. Um, what about uh, what? What are your thoughts about longevity of this diet? Can you see yourself eating this way? Um, indefinitely, or do you have like an exit strategy or, you know, with your idea of diabetes over everything, you know, can you foresee yourself adding more, whether it be healthy grains or, you know, something like that in your life back again later on, or, you know, have you thought about that yet over these past couple of years? Yes. There's a couple of years coming up and I, and I try different, I try different things, you know, like, um, like, like I, like I don't want this massive aura of me being on one cut all the time. I, I, I'm an experimenter by nature. So I try different things. Um, I, I like drinking red wine. It just doesn't like me. Like, I, you know, I feel like I, like it just kills me. So I can't like, I'm like, oh, I'm just not going to drink, you know, like, I mean, like I can get away with vodka because it doesn't really affect you and the fermentation factor, but 
don't like it. So like, there's nothing, it's not there for me. Right. So, um, I, I try and to things in, um, if I'm going to do a photo shoot prep and I need to look as dry as possible, I'm definitely in white rice. There's no doubt about it. Or, you know, lots of honey, lots of coconut oil. Cause it's the best to, uh, you, you, it's the best to fill out muscle bellies as much as possible without, you know, without the inflammation of the fiber coming into you. Um, like to just hold extra water inside your intestines. Um, so I do different things when I need to do different things. Um, but I'll be honest with you, like I've tried putting things back into my diet and I, I, I don't like it. Like I've been, I've, I've been backed. So like, like Jay's always strict. Like it's like an integer to how strict he is, you know? So, but for the last three weeks, I've been like super strict, like, you know, like everything's measured, you know, like to the, to the, to the gram. Um, and I've, I feel amazing. Like it really is insane that I, when I, when I do one cut of beef, um, which just means the same cut over and over again. So like I just did, I went and bought seven kilos of strip loin and that's it. That's all I ate for a week with salt, nothing else. Um, I feel incredible. So my, my, my thoughts going forward are I'm always going to listen to what other people are doing. Um, so I can see what works for other people as a, cause I would have never got here without listening to people um, to see what else is going well. Maybe I'll try a little bit of honey here. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Um, and I'll, get, I'll run my blood panels or once you're going to do it in the summer, um, just check all my micronutrients and check all this and check all that. But um, it's been two years. Um, I've, I, I keep getting, I keep growing muscle tissue. I, I keep getting leaner. Like I keep being able to push myself further and further physically, mentally. Um, HRV slowly keeps trending up until I, I do something stupid like train two hours in a day of high intensity training um, and I, I'm tolerating fasting better so for me no I don't see an exit strategy from a meat-based diet ever you can't really use two years over 30 as the, the big it's not an insignificant amount of time but it's not 30 years I've been alive so never say never but for me at this moment in time I, I don't I see myself going deeper down the rabbit hole as opposed to coming back the other way to see what the, the rest of the world is like. In, right in all honesty. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, having that experiment mentality and, and realize, you, you know, you're very clear on what your goals are. You're very clear uh, on figuring it out. You know, the fact that, you, I mean, you were, you were saying about uh, one in 10 ratios 20 to 20 to one ratios. That's a great example of why the metric system is way superior because <laughs> those conversions <laughs> in the West are way harder to do. But the fact that you have even, even thinking about that in that way is a really cool test of how much you are trying to dial this in. And it'd be really cool to be able to tell somebody, Oh yeah, when you have these meats, this is what to expect. This is what to expect here and here. Um, because there's so much uncharted territory. Uh, when it comes to type one diabetes, uh, meat based diets, bolusing for protein, how it changes your digestion system. It's so much more um, uncharted territory than just the two hour insulin with the carbs and, and then just going from there. It's way easier for medical management to do that than it is to learn how to do these things. Um, but then again, you know, some people might not be, they might be super repulsed by meat and then they, they have to do something else, you know? So uh, doing what works for you, is is always key and I, and I love that you keep hitting on that one in one way or another throughout this conversation yeah absolutely like you gotta do you like my, my dad's a vegan like you know it, it is what it is you know my one of my best friends is a vegetarian uh 
and um, I'm not there indoctrinating people. Do do whatever you got to do, man. Like if you if you ask me for a question, ask me for a question. You know, like I'm sharing my story, you share your story, you do you. We can all we can all be friends, right? So um, that's it. Human beings doing what they're doing. Right on. Yeah. Uh, Great. You got any questions about it? You know, HRV, intermittent fasting, anything else about carnivore stuff we haven't talked about yet? Um, you said that you now tolerate fasting better on the carnivore diet. What did you mean by that? Was it blood sugar wise or, or what? Um, no, what I mean was like, like how uncomfortable I, I'm like, okay, I, I hate extended fasting beyond cause I like to eat. But, uh, mm-hmm. when I, when I was doing my photo shoot prep, um, uh, up into, up into a certain body fat percentage, you can, you can do extended fasting, um, outside of that. Uh, the deficits become too steep for your relative uh, body fat levels that you start to eat muscle tissue. So you have to calm it down after a while. Um, but to, to get me to 10%, just to break the first hurdle before, I think I got down to about six. It depends on what scale you're using. If you go and use a DEXA scan, it's going to give you something. But if you run a caliper measurement, it's going to give you something else. But for the scale I was using, uh, to get to 10%, I can, I can, I can do uh, extended fasting. And then to get to like 6%, which I need to do to take photos of myself, I can't. Um, I need to do like a bit of cycling. So what I did was me and my friend were, uh, uh, so me and my business partner were in Singapore setting up the Singapore gym. Um, so I didn't have any, I didn't have my fiance at the time around me. I was just living with another, blo- another guy for three weeks or whatever it was. So we were just like, let's just try and outfast each other. See how this goes. <laughs> so, um, so it was like, um, we're going to eat once every 48 hours for a week or something like that. You know? So, I mean, um, <laughs> And just uh, just drown ourselves in coffee. Um, so basically, it, it worked out to be like um, a, no no food meal, forty hours meal. For uh, some, well, sometimes I'd like have a second meal a little bit afterwards. Um, but during that time, so two things: one, um, I wasn't that well adapted to changing energy systems so quickly because up until that point i'd been using a carnivore diet but still running a lot of gluconeogenesis through it so still having glycogen stores by by overeating on protein so it refilled my muscle tissue um so going into a ketogenic diet it's the same thing there's the adaption phase to running from fats better you know so i I was that transition was a bit sucky for me um, and the fact that um, I was nutrient deficient, obviously, without realizing at the time, um, just meant that I was tired and comfortable. I was just thinking about food all the time. I was breaking my routine. I was stressing about my blood glucose. I was checking it every five seconds. Um, so while I did it because I'm up for competition against everyone else, it wasn't a pleasant experience. When I was looking at my friend who doesn't have an autoimmune condition, is much better at fasting, is fat adapted. And he was just like, this is easy. I, I don't need to eat. Like it's, it's fine. You know, like, and I'm like, why is one person struggling so much with this? And then one person not struggling with this so much. Um, and then, so I, I, I was, I, after, so that was like my, that was like what fasting was for me. It was just like arduous, like painful, like, like just all I could do is wait until the next meal. I was, you know, it was grumpy. Um, Um, But one thing I actually found is that people are like, stop training when they're fasting. No training when you're fasting is great because it liberates more free fatty acids. So you actually feel better after training. So, you know, go out and walk and go out and just do a couple of sets of weights. Don't go crazy, but just make sure you're hydrated um, and you actually feel a little better from it. But then when I came to doing fasting um, this this year in the last two months or so, um, where I would have a big meal, 
and I would like a big meal the day before. And I'm like, okay, let's, uh, let's just do a 24 hour fast or let's just test my HIV these days off the back of fasting as opposed to testing it before. And then I was like, I was much better. I was okay. I was like, oh yeah, I can breeze 24 hours now. This is not even an, this is not even an issue for me. Um, after that, you know, and I'm like, and I was, I get to that point in the evening where I'm like, should I eat before I go to bed or should I not? I can push through, but, uh, um, if I'm training in the morning, you know, like maybe I should eat just like five or six eggs or something. I don't know. And just have a 500 calorie day or something or whatever it is. Um, so I find it a lot easier now being in ketosis, being fat adapted and being nutrient efficient, um, than I did back in those days, 100%. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's a good observation. Um, cause yeah, I, I mess with intermittent fasting a lot and there's certain times where it's definitely a lot easier and there's lately there's been a lot of times where it's been super tough. So um, it's it's interesting to hear your point of view on now that you're in, in carnivore diet and it being a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. And also um, element nutrition, um, they, they have these wonderful electrolytes that are incredible that they're just like like this it's a thousand milligrams of sodium per shot and it's like oh yeah this this makes you feel great <laughs> energy there you go there you go uh let's see so jay you know you, you you do a lot of different types of training uh so maybe kind of taking a step back from the carnivore side but how do you balance uh all the training that you do with your diabetes with uh, between the jujitsu, the martial arts, the wrestling, you know, lifting the way you do, um, you know, what are some struggles with all of that? Cause I know, uh, we get a lot of questions about, uh, weight training and diabetes and, and uh, there's definitely people want to hear more perspectives, uh, for that type of stuff as, as much as possible. So how, how do you balance all of that? Um, yeah. I would like to say well, but uh, <laughs> I'm not let off the deep end. Um, so my training schedule at the moment is um, resistance training, uh, jiu-jitsu wrestling, jiu-jitsu wrestling, kind of combination of the same session, uh, resistance training, jiu-jitsu wrestling, and then Muay Thai six days a week. And then I, I rest on uh, a Sunday. Um, I do about 10,000 steps, 11,000 steps a day. Um, and I would like to say that I, I'm running around, but like, I, I woke up this morning, I'm like, I'm so stiff, I'm so sore, so, I'm so tired, like, what well, I mean, like, but then it, I can't stop because I'm addicted to it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like human chess, it's like winning. Like, I have a physical addiction to how I feel after training. Um, I'm mental. We all self-medicate, whether it's with drugs, alcohol, food, or training, we all have something that we do to make us feel better. So for me, I've accepted that training is a happy place for me sometimes more than performance you know so that was a good mind shift set for me like i'm doing this because i enjoy doing it not because i have to be the best in the world at everything so if i don't break a pi every now and then um oh oh well you know like so it's it, you know i'm doing what i'm doing um but then some people are like what's the point in training if you're not breaking a pr well you know like a community like there's there's people you know there's relationships there's there's, you know, breaking up the day, there's just creating insulin sensitivity by just being active. So there's a bunch of other things. But in saying that, uh, the things that I've made to make a significant difference in my, in my training is um, I've 
I do, you can only do intensity or volume. You can't do both unless you're on performance enhancing drugs. So I train with very high intensity, but very low volume with my resistance training now. Um, and that's what works better for me because, um, so I will do in a workout that I'm going to do today, this afternoon, I switched my Monday and Tuesday around this week. Um, I'm going to do three, six sets of upper body, six sets of lower body. Um, but what I mean by that is literally three sets of chin-ups, three sets of handstand push-ups, three sets of squats, and three sets of leg curls. That's it. You know, that's all I'm going to be doing in a resistance training session. Um, it's not as simple as that. Like I'm trying to work one-arm chins. I'm trying to, uh, to, to do handstand push-ups. I'm trying to, to squat as much weight as I can. Um, and I'm using a lot of weight for my leg curls, all about five reps each. Um, that's not a lot of volume, you know? But what I, what, I, what I set it up to do is that uh, it's, it's pure quality over quantity. And then I can, uh, that's the amount of volume that I can progress at week on week. If I was to go, okay, let's do more. But then when I come to my next workout and I haven't improved on that, then there's no point in doing all that or training because there's no progressive overload, which is what we want to achieve from resistance training. So whenever I learned this the hard way is that I went back to doing one set four exercises, four sets, that's it. And then I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then, then I add more and I got stronger and I add more and I got stronger. Then I add more and I stopped getting stronger. I started to get weaker. So I know that this is about the right amount of volume for me. Um, when I was, when we were heavy in the lockdown period and there was no jujitsu and wrestling, I can do more resistance training because I have more capacity to recover. I can do more sets. I can do more reps because I have more stores available. So what people uh, my advice to people is going into this is that more is not always better. You can get, if, if we're just looking at individual ranges of, uh, of, if we break the body into four components, um, upper body push, upper body pull, lower body push, lower body pull. Um, you can add knee flexion, ankle dorky flexion, elbows. You can break it. You can subcategorize as much as you want, but if we just break the body into four components, you know, um, mm -hmm. as long as you do two sets um, that are within at your limit, you get like 80% of the available gains. Now you can get more if you do more, but there's also, you run the risk of overtraining and not recovering in time before the next workout. So I always bear that in mind whenever I'm training is that more is not always better. You know, like I've got money in the bank, you know, I could work twice as hard to get minimal extra five, 10% here or there, which if you're an Olympic athlete is very worth doing. Like it is fundamentally worth doing because the difference between the top and the bottom is like 1%. Mm -hmm. But for general population, it's not. Cause why would I risk compromising the 80% that I've gained for 5%? Um, so I'm a low volume type of person when it comes to resistance training. Um, but I've also put on, six kilos of muscle in the last 12 months with a combination of carnivore diet and this training people are like how how do you do so much volume i make because like i have money in the bank every week you know like i mean like it's just consistency is what i'm good at like you know whereas you know if you've stayed the same or you look the same for a year something's wrong but they won't challenge their preconceived notions of having to do more and more and more and more maybe i just need more chest Maybe I need more of this. Maybe I need, you know, whatever the exercise may be. So um, it took me a long time to come to be comfortable with doing twice a week. Um, I used to do three, three weight training and three martial arts, but um, I just love jujitsu so much and wrestling and, and Muay Thai and the skill development at this stage of my lifting career um, that 
it does it means more to me than than the amount of progress I can get from my resistance training. And that's not to say that I don't I'm not progressing. It's just the saying if I canned all of my other stuff and just concentrated on resistance training, I would have one arm chins and free handstand push ups and all that stuff by now. But I'm not in a rush, you know, like it, it'll come when it comes, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I, you know, there's things that I'm just ticking off along the way. Um, and then whenever it comes to my martial arts, and obviously uh, you're, you're a marathon runner, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll know the difference is this is that once you break from um, the Krebs cycle into glycolysis, mm-hmm. uh, the, primary, the primary tool to liberate that stored glucose is cortisol. So if you want better training recovery, you need to push your lactate threshold up as high as possible. That means you need to train under your lactate threshold. So for me, if I can get as much drilling practice in and movement practice in without going over 160 beats per minute, my HRV is higher the next day and my recovery is better. So that just means going, when someone calls you out at the end of the training, hey, you want to spar? No, I don't. Like, um, I will spar if you you call me out publicly, I will do it. Or maybe we can do it on Saturday (laughs) on... Maybe we can do it on Saturday on my, on my heavy day, but today I need to be disciplined to drill. And that's a really, really hard thing to do yeah. for me because people are like, come on the spa. And I'm like, you know, like I like to, I like to do it, you know, like, yeah. I mean, like I love you. Sure. You know, like I did a 15 minute round unlimited subs um, from stand up Nogi the other day, last Wednesday. And to the point that I want to throw up and, and then I was like, that was so much fun, but like I was suffering the next day. My oh, lower yeah. back was sore, you know, like my body was tired. And then I was like, that's fine. I have to accept that that was fun, but I need to take a rest day the next day, you know? Right. So um, when it comes to weight training, volume down. When it comes to movement and martial arts, um, intensity uh, down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you get, so because more skill, more exposure. Um, so there's a couple of ways that I'm trying to optimize it, but again, I haven't found the magic crack code yet. I haven't, you know, like, um, like I know I should probably take two rest days a week, but I don't want to. Um, so I'm trying to do everything else in my power to get my, to to get my recovery up. So like I'm, I'm wearing blue light blocking, blacking glasses for two hours, you know, before I go to bed, I'm, my magnesium's there, my zinc's there, my organs are there. Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to meditate again. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting to that point where I'm like, I need to just, if I'm, I need to do a week of drilling or take a couple of days off or, you know, I, I know I'm getting to that point in my life where I'm like, with my workload, I, I probably need to, but in, we'll, we'll see. In my mind, I'm like, oh, well, Christmas is coming up. So the gyms will be closed. So I can rest then. Um, but, uh, uh, <laughs> <Too much> time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Right. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like we all, we all make mistakes. My vice is, my vice is training. So, Mm-hmm. Um, but when I train, I'm happy. When I'm happy, I get everything else done in my life. It's just um, one of those things. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. And it takes a lot of ego control and self control, and, and to accept this moment that this you're not defined by your some of those things in training. You know, training under lactate threshold and and saying no to other parts of training. Uh, I just started experimenting with that myself with running. And around 154 while I run is my believed threshold for, for lactate right now. I didn't like measure, I don't have like a lactate meter or anything like that, but using some formulas, that's what I figured out. And that is so slow. But then now that time is starting to increase, but I would rather just like book it. But now it's like, all right. And then, cause that's really fun. Like you were saying, but I'm trying to bring it back, go slower. 
And I, I'm also finding I'm doing a lot more Olympic lifting myself too and slowing those reps down and, and decreasing that volume to learn how to open up my hips more and to extend through my hip flexors and, and to do these things more by keeping it down so you can learn uh, and you can adapt more appropriately. Uh, but yeah, I should probably take more rest days myself too, but it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I agree, man. And I'm glad, I'm glad you're on the same point. And it is, right? You just need to compare ourselves to who we were yesterday, in the words of Jordan Peters, and not who everyone else is in the gym. Um, and we know fundamentally by doing what we're doing, we're going to make a better version of ourselves tomorrow. And that should be the goal, as opposed to beating this person up or, or beating this lift or, or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, re reframing is, is very important. I never always do it, but yeah, I agree with you that. It's, it's, it's learning man you know we're like in the grand scheme of things i'm 31 we still got a lot still got a lot of time to make mistakes you know like i mean hell yeah man yeah 60 plus years that's the way i think about it yeah. <laughs> right on um cool well that, that was a that was a fun rant uh great you got any more comments you know about weight training and and just training because you, you're do i haven't even dabbled in jujitsu yet you know i know yeah. that's your role compared to compared to mine yeah, yeah, I'm still kind of playing around with it because, um, like I said, um, getting the pump torn out and figuring all that out can mess with things um, quite a bit. Um, but then at the same time, I'm pretty new into it. Um, I started jujitsu a year and a half ago. Um, oh, man, that's still solid progress, yeah. Yep, yep. So, um, so I'm still try trying to figure out all the nuances and, and everything with blood sugar control and everything. But... Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a balancing act because um, I think in it, especially where I'm using a pump, I think in regards to jujitsu and um, training in a physical contact sport um, consistently, because in high school, it's just like, oh, it's just at the time, you just kind of get through it. But if you're trying to do that, some, doing, doing something like that long term, then you really have to start to figure out how you really need to manage this so it can be sustainable because with with a pump you have to take it off you can't really keep that on your person um because that just that would be a recipe for disaster i'd break my pump in like you know one minute but um yeah um, so but so i have to figure out um how to manage that a little better and like that at multiple daily injections i think would probably be a better option because then i still have that insulin that basal insulin in my system so that way if i do decide to train for you know a crazy amount of time like two three hours then i won't have that high spike even if i have my pump there um i i don't really put it on because we're kind of in and out but having that basal um would be nice that way i don't have to take a bunch of insulin right after to kind of mitigate that spike um but yeah that's kind of where I'm at with jujitsu in regards to diabetes right now. Sweet, man. Yeah, I look forward to your progress journey. I've, yeah. ne I've never won a pump, so I, like, I, I've no experience in that, but that'd be cool. You know, like working a way out for that would be, uh, would benefit a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, Jay, I think we're going to kind of start wrapping up, but we we like to do a, a segment called burst my beta cells which is like grind my gears for diabetics right so you know what's just thing that just make you so super upset it could be training related it could be diabetes related it can be uh you know blood sugar specifically it could be anything and everything but what what's something that's burst your beta cells uh recently 
Oh, man, it's like so much. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> we can do another hour podcast on this. Um, <laughs> uh, what we got? We, we got training Thai and carnival. Oh, so for carnival, we'll go um, the, the, the crowd of people that regularly three, four times a week eat junk food and drink and then say, how can that be healthy for you? You know, I'm like, okay, at the very <laughs> fundamental level, I'm on a hundred percent whole food diet. Okay. Yeah. Let's get that straight. You know, I'm like, uh, uh, okay. Okay. Is there any long-term study? What about, you know, you, how, you know, I'm like, you do you, I'll do me, honey. Like, you know, like it is what it is, right? Like I'll, I'll try not to, uh, I'll try not to get it down. Um, like, protein limits annoy me for diabetes like jesus like i mean like just like why like why are the universe taking this away from me you know what i mean like i have to limit me it's like come on you know like like it would just be magical if there was like this much meat equals this much medication and that'd be done but obviously we know that that's not the case mm-hmm. um and I don't know, like for training and life in general, I, and, th- and this, this goes, this goes, this is a bigger societal sort of thing, whether you're into to vegan, CrossFit, carnival, you know, and even the carnival crowd is community uh, is uh, guilty of this, is, is forming an identity off the back of limited education, you know? So it's like, um, it, it, this can go back even to like, this can even go back as far as, um, you know, I still got, yeah this can go back as far as like religion or being a vegan or being a carnivore, just, just adopting something. And then, and then being a, um, a, 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 spo- a spokesperson for this without actually doing any homework to know if what you're saying is the truth, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, I, I, I'm, I, I think powerlifting is the only thing everyone should do. Okay. Okay. I've CrossFit saved my life, you know, carnivore diet or like being a vegan or, or you know, like everyone needs to, you know, pray. And I'm like, yeah, but, have you interviewed all 7 million people on the earth? You don't know, do you? You know what I mean? So that's one thing is that, you know, if, you know, if you want to change the world, just make sure that you, you, you're, you're a hundred percent, you know what you're doing before you, you go and try and change the world. Right. You know what I mean? So um, that's, that's my biggest gripe in life and society these days is just that everyone with social media has got an opinion, but um, no one's opinion is, um, is educated. And I know it doesn't have to be traditional educating systems. Like it just means that, you know, you've gone away, you speak into people, you have an argument on both sides. I know that vitamin C is still the most debated topic about being on a carnivore diet. I'm aware of that, you know? So like, I'm not coming into this and being like, yeah, but never eat fruit. Because if you can't get liver, then maybe you're going to have to eat some oranges. You know what I mean? So um, that's, that's my biggest life gripe in general is that everyone is, uh, everyone has, 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 has to jump into a team. And then that team is like life or die in this team. So yeah, that busts my remaining beta cells, I guess. <laughs> remaining Not that I've gone in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's something I've been encountering more recently too. You know, people just saying things without uh, thinking through them and without actually, uh, whether it be formal education or just in being interested in what they're even saying. And thinking for themselves, you know, that's something that's been uh, both on health related, uh, a little bit diabetes, but not so much. Um, But then, you know, just anything and everything else going on in the world today, too, you know, that's something that's been driving me up a wall. And then with uh, uh, diabetes management, man, I've just been 
super, super frustrated that, uh, you know, late at night, I haven't been getting my symptoms and I've been muting my pump. Um, and my blood sugar does sometimes go down and tank a little bit. And I haven't been uh, preempting my, my sleep enough to change my insulin, change my basal rates enough to make sure that doesn't happen at night. Um, so that's kind of more of that optimal thing, you know, th that we're all trying to achieve. And that's something that's yeah. been me personally. I'm just like, man, I know I can do better. I have done better, but it's just not happening right now. And th that grinds my, that bursts my beta cells right now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's, and, and that's a hundred percent. I agree with you there. Like, like, I had a plan on what optimal used to be. And then I'm like, why don't you just do it? And there's, there's something side, sometimes you just, you just, you just don't. Right. And it takes right. a lot, like it's the whole headspace thing to, to get you to start again. And it's, uh, right. um, yeah, yeah. That, 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 like that, that being disappointed in ourselves, but then accepting mm -hmm. that we're only human as well. So yeah, yeah. I feel you yeah. massively on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's almost a lot like uh, if you take a break from going to the gym or, work, or training or working out, you knew you were at this place and then you spent so much time because whether it be lockdowns or whatever, uh, you weren't training and you used to think about, oh, I used to be able to lift that much. I used to be able to do that. I couldn't run that. And then like, I can't do a fraction and that will slow you down. Uh, and and it's, hard, it's hard to get there again. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very similar mindset. So yeah, right back at you. No, but man, this like, I mean, we don't need to put this in perspective. Like we, we all have like medical conditions that a hundred years ago would have all killed us. We wouldn't have even got to this age and we're outperforming most human beings. So like, you know, like not to compare ourselves to the world, but like, this is wonderful to connect with people that are, like, I probably wouldn't be the athlete I am today without diabetes, you know, like, don't get me wrong. If someone waved a wand and wanted to take it away from me, like, that's fine. I've done my time, but, um, <laughs> you know, like I, I've learned it, but, um, but, you know, like I, I don't think I would ever have got to where I am or I could have helped as many people as I do without coming from a place of deficit. So yeah. it's awesome to see you guys. Like, this is wonderful. Like, uh, you know, thanks for having me on and, uh, yeah. more power to us. More proud of us, absolutely, yeah. What about you, Grade? Um, I think after having these last two interviewers on, um, what's been bursting my beta cells is not being able to interact with everybody with all the lockdowns and everything going on and all these conferences getting canceled, um, which is, it's nice to be able to have this podcast because we are able to now interact um, with people um, across the world and everywhere. Um, so it's nice to be able to do that, but at the same time, it kind of makes me frustrated that we don't get to do this more with more diabetics and interact with more diabetics. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a tough situation right now. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, but you know, those type of conferences and meeting people, you know, all those things will start happening again. Yeah. You know? So, but I feel you on that one, no doubt about it. Um, when you said, Jay, when you were saying, uh, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, we wouldn't even be doing what we're doing or even a couple of hundred years ago. I always like to think when I'm comparing diabetes now versus uh, what it could have been, uh, the scene from 300 where they're literally like casting babies over, <laughs> over the cliff. Yeah. And, I'm like, and I'm like, oh, the diabetic what? baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, absolutely. Like, we would have had to do that walk in the wolf, and the wolf would have eaten me. Like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have made it back on that. So, um, but we made it through, right? We, we, we actually decided we're, we're, we're actual Spartans for making it this far. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, well absolutely. done, guys. Yeah.
Well, Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you, talking with you uh, on this episode, on this podcast. Uh, we appreciate you and what you're doing and how you're communicating. You know, your truths out there are, are really amazing. Um, and so, you know, you're the at the Diabetic Carnivore on Instagram. Where else can other people kind of reach and contact you uh, for anything, whether it be coaching or whatever else? Yeah, that's the thing, right? At Diabetic Carnivore gives you a link to everything. Um, I was, I one day I will get around to publishing my website with some of my thoughts on there, but that'll happen in the future. And if, if you're on Facebook, um, you know, jump into any of the diabetic communities, you know, the type one, there's a, there's a type one diabetic carnivore community that I, I chat a bit on and oh. also diabetic muscle and fitness. So like I chat on that as well. So you can find me, but yeah, Instagram is, is the best place to so just email me. You know, like I get people from emailing me all the time about these sort of things and the amount of questions I get on social media. And I actually like them, you know, like people are surprised because people ask me a question on, um, social media and i'll respond with a, a video message or a voice note and it's like wow you've gone to all the detail no no that's way easier than typing it up man like, oh, I, yeah. like I could just like <laughs> i'm like oh yeah, yeah so this is what i would do and this, this is what i do people are like, oh that's so personalized oh okay great um, yeah that's exactly what i did it no it's just it's just so much easier for me like to, to, to sift through all the messages and and get this done and uh so yeah it is what it is right um so yeah in, instagram's the main place uh um outside of that so that's just like my my focus i'm, I'm very single-minded so that's where you can get me guys and uh and then yeah like this podcast is going to be incredible this is the best one i think that i've gone into a lot of detail on um i've done a bunch more about some different topics my last podcast the, the host kind of like side with me it was like yeah let's talk about you know carnival sex life and i was like oh i was not expecting that but let's go for it um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um so yeah that's cool um but yeah it is what it is right so uh yeah thanks again for having me guys and it's, it's been a pleasure absolutely right on well thanks everyone for listening uh as always we appreciate you giving us your ear and we'll catch you next time on the die buddies podcast so much for listening to today's episode if you found value in today's conversation we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review it really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it if you want to interact with us on social media you can follow us on the die buddies podcast on facebook twitter and instagram or if you have any questions comments concerns or moral outrages you can email us at the die buddies podcast at gmail.com thanks